This is John Martinka with the Getting the Deal Done podcast series, a series devoted to talking to professionals, especially in the M&A space, as well as business owners to get some of their best practices. Today, my guest is Jim Cragen, the president of Randob Labs in the Hudson Valley of New York. Uh, Jim is a second generation owner and Jim, why don't we start out by you telling us a little bit about Randolph Labs, its history, the products, and all of that. All right, great. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a second-generation owner, and we own a handful of over-the-counter uh, medicine products, uh, diaper rash cream, sleep aid, uh, insect bites and stings. Um, anything that's in your medicine cabinet uh, that you can pick up at your local a grocery or drugstore, um, we are playing in that space. Um, we started, my family started in this business. My dad started as a sales representative and um, eventually switched over and acquired a product. So he, he started growth by acquisition uh, 30 years ago. Uh, I came into the business uh, closing in on close to a decade ago and uh, came in and, you know, just had the, the, the drive to, to grow it more. My dad did a very nice job with it. And uh, I'm doing a, working on continuing that legacy. Um, and acquisition has certainly been a key part of that journey. Okay. So how many products do you have now? Um, that's a good question. Brand-wise, we have, I'm going to say five or six brands. Okay. Now you had an interesting... Uh, experience a few years ago when you brought bought a uh, you bought the product line of a uh, European company yeah so uh, after running the business for a couple of years it became clear um, that to really scale growth acquisition was going to be a key part of that um, it's very hard um, unless you have the resources of a large player unless you have the resources of a Johnson and Johnson or a Pfizer or somebody of that stature or Procter and Gamble to break a new product into the market. Um, but there's lots of brands out there that are known household names that customers have known for 40 years that you could acquire. Um, and then you can grow those brands by putting new packaging on them, paying attention to them, making sure um, that you're putting the right marketing behind them uh, and things of that nature. So uh, it became clear, Hey, you know, it's great. We can grow this business five, 10, 15% a year. And that's good. Uh, but if we really wanted to supercharge that growth acquisition was going to be a key part of that. So um, you and I worked together, um, identified a couple of brands, um, had lots of discussions with folks, got close on a couple and actually uh, yeah, ended up acquiring a brand that was being run out of North America. Uh, but the parent company was based in Sweden, um, which was not too big of a deal. Uh, all the ne negotiations were handled uh, with the North American office. Uh, until the very final legal details, uh, them being based in Sweden became a little bit interesting because we had a, a Swedish lawyer on conference calls who would pretend like he didn't speak English very well when he said things that he didn't want to hear. But, uh, <laughs> but, but we moved through that and uh, we got the deal done. And uh, now here it is three or four years later. And, uh, you know, we've acquired the brand and, and we're growing it and growing our business. Good. Now, you've got an interesting operation in that you're in the Hudson Valley area of New York, and you've got a warehouse there, but you also have other facilities around the, the country. And 
obviously your sales are all over the United States and maybe other places. So how's that running those uh, remote locations or everything has to come together? Yeah, so it's, um, it's good because we're not doing anything uh, that's not standard for our industry. We're doing things that a lot of folks do. Um, so we really run mostly the sales and marketing uh, functions out of our facility into a small amount of warehousing. Uh, but what we do is we don't manufacture um, our products. The, uh, all the primary manufacturing is done by third parties. And this is really common in the industry. Uh, I'll go back to even Johnson & Johnson. You know, they have their own plants uh, and they make Tylenol because they make a lot of it. But even a product that they don't sell a lot, they'll have somebody else make it for them. Uh, there are these organizations, contract manufacturer organizations, who all they do is make products for other people. Uh, so we bring a formula to them and they make it and they put our label on it um, and then we can warehouse it and ship it out. So, so we certainly utilize all those contract manufacturers. Uh, and the reason to do that is because unless you are running a plant 24 seven and we don't have that kind of demand, we'll, you know, we'll do production runs four times a year, uh, but that's not enough to run a facility and, and be up to date on all of the current FDA uh, regulations and best practices. Uh, and that's good because certainly we all want we all want safe medicine, we all want safe food. So it's good that those regulations are there, uh, but it pays to utilize a third party who's up to date on all of those. And uh, yeah, we do have a small facility where we do some warehousing and a lot of secondary and tertiary packaging. And then we also work with third party warehouses. As you start to deal with uh, the larger retailers in the country, they are all very specific about how you ship them goods. Uh, you know, you have to do the sales call and get the order and that's all well and good, but then you've got to be set up to receive the order electronically and they all want their labels with just the right amount of information on it and placed just so, and um, it could pay to have somebody else with the expertise on making sure that everything is set up just right so it doesn't get rejected at their dock or so you don't get charged a fine. So, so we do work with some third-party warehousing uh, groups who, who take care of all the fine details on that as well. Okay. So we're recording this in early 2021 and 2020 was an interesting year to say the least. What kind of uh, challenges did you experience and what kind of opportunities, uh, if any, did it bring? Yeah. Uh, so I'll go two avenues with that. Um, the one, um, one of the biggest challenges was, was manufacturing. Um, and the reason that was challenging was not because those groups weren't working, but certainly in the, in the early days of COVID, when we, we didn't know as much as we know now, um, there was a lot of plants operating at 50% capacity or 70% capacity just to make sure that people were, you know, really, really far spaced out. Um, most people are back to 90 or 100% capacity now, as we know you know, better cleaning and mitigation strategies than we had uh, last spring and early summer. Um, but also what would happen, of course, is if you were dealing with a smaller vendor, um, if they had one person sick, then, you know, they'd go, go down to 25% workforce because three quarters of the workforce would be in quarantine. Um, so that was a challenge in the early days. And then getting materials has been a real challenge just in terms of putting things in a bottle. Um, we can make the pill, the cream, the lotion, uh, whatever it may be for, for that product, but finding the bottles and caps to put it into has been a real challenge. 
uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, there was an explosion in people making hand sanitizer last year. Anybody who could make it would make it. So any available products in the, in the supply chain were snapped up real quick if they were used in a hand sanitizer bottle cap. Um, those were all gone. Um, and then also um, driving mileage went down considerably in the first half of last year. And plastics are a byproduct of the petroleum industry. So there were sort of some fall on effects there um, where people were increasing demand, trying to make hand sanitizer. And then some of the inputs um, into the people that were making this, uh, they were having trouble getting inputs and they were having trouble um, just meeting that increased demand. So uh, we spent a lot of time on the phone last year in 2020. You know, typically it's, hey, you want something great? Let us know 12, 16 weeks ahead of time, place your purchase order. And then it shows up on our dock and we don't really think about it. Uh, we had to spend a lot of time babysitting <laughs> and making phone calls. And um, it was a lot of work, but hey, you know, everybody had to, um, everybody had to adapt last year. Um, and certainly with our own warehousing operation, we had to adapt and, and work on cleaning and work on distancing. Um, so all of those things were challenges. Um, ultimately, I can't complain. Uh, we came out with a pretty good year, just being goods that people need, uh, no matter what the condition. Um, you know, just common, common staples in your house. So um, certainly happy I don't own a restaurant or a gym or, uh, you know, something that, that, that really had a bad year. So had a lot of challenges, had a lot of um, difficulty working. Um, and then I said I was going to go two ways with this. So I'll go back on the second on the sales, which was sort of, it's a challenge and an opportunity. Uh, obviously, a lot of sales are, are in person and fly across the country and sit down um, at the home office of these large corporations uh, in Arkansas and, and Chicago and, and, and in Rhode Island and, and various other places. And um, that obviously shut down because not only were those folks not taking meetings, but they weren't in their own office. Uh, so we had a lot of sales calls via Zoom, Microsoft Teams, whatever you want to, you know, whatever platform you use. And that was real challenging because you're talking about um, the shelves are set basically once a year and you get one chance, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to state your case for the entire year's worth of distribution. So it's a very important meeting. And when you only have 15 minutes, it's important to read eye contact, read facial expressions, all of the nonverbal communications. And obviously that's a lot more challenging on Zoom. It becomes an opportunity because there's some smaller uh, vendors that before maybe you wouldn't necessarily travel to and get that FaceTime because you can only take so many meetings. And if you're, if you're, you know, products are in a hundred different retailers, there's just no way you can visit all of them. So you, you rely on, on some of your sales force to handle that. Um, so I got to have FaceTime with some of the smaller um, companies and really explain to them who we are, what we're doing, um, especially as we acquire brands. It's important to reassure them that this is going to be a consistently supplied product. Here's why we bought the brand. We're thinking long-term, we're investing in the brand for the long-term health of the brand to sell more product on your shelf, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Retailer, you know, to be better for the retailer um, and better for us. It's a, it's a, it's a win-win relationship. Um, so that was, a, that was an opportunity to get to, to sometimes speak to people um, that you wouldn't get to speak to. And also to speak to people, you know, if it's 15 minutes, okay. I'm in my office, fire up the computer, 15 minute meeting, and then you're back to work instead of getting on uh, planes, trains, and automobiles and staying in hotels and spending a lot of time away from families. So, yeah. um, 
So that was an opportunity as well. Okay. Uh, what are the what are what are your plans for growth at this point? Uh, is it just more organic, trying to reach these smaller vendors? You got any, you're looking at other product lines you'd like to have? Yeah. So it's it's always um, we're always trying to drive organic, um, and luckily we've been very good at that. Um, I think the brands that we really trade in are, are, as I said, more heritage brands, brands that have been around for 40 years, 50 years. And um, what's great about those brands is they're very consistent. And year over year, uh, they provide a consistent level of sales and they don't, you know, they don't cut in half. But if they don't go in half, that also means they don't double. So um, we're kind of, you know, getting growth outside of the 10 or 20% starts to be challenging. Uh, so that's where acquisition comes in to grow above uh, sort of a low baseline. So it's always looking um, at acquisitions, um, but growing, you know, as we acquire more and more brands, we get to grow in the amount of resources we have and the marketing folks that we get to work with and the package design folks that we get to work with and the budgets that we have um, to do those types of things. So uh, the growth is sort of a, it compounds itself. Um, you know, as you continue to grow, you get more resources, which you can um, use to grow even more uh, as you reinvest back in the business. So, uh, so the organic growth is always is always a key part, um, and then the acquisition is is sort of the the, the cherry on the Sunday. Um, so we're not in a position where we need to make acquisitions. Um, as I said, you know, earlier, we are family owned. Um, to date, all of our acquisitions have been funded just with debt. Um, financing, so bank loans, no private investors. Um, so we have not had to give up any equity outside of the family. Um, so a lot of folks out there in the space now, there's a lot of private equity money and they're in a lot of pressure where they have to go out and spend money and they have mm -hmm. to buy something. Um, I'm in a more comfortable position because if I want to buy something and it's the right deal at the right price, great, we can make it happen. Uh, but I'm not forced into action there, uh, which sometimes of course can always lead you to, uh, to a bad deal. So, so I feel like we're in a strong position where we can grow organically, but if the right acquisition opportunity comes, comes to play, we can, we can make that happen. Um, and we've closed two acquisitions in the past three years. So, you know, clearly it's, it's something that um, we've gotten a, you know, we've gotten a, a little bit of a playbook on that, on how to do that as well. Okay. So, but if you have a new product, like say ball mix, yeah. And just as I'm making this up, but if Balmex is in Walgreens and you're not in Walgreens with your other products, does that give you an in at Walgreens for your other products? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why I'll say maybe. Um, when you're dealing, so if you're dealing with a smaller retailer um, or if you're dealing um, with even a medium-sized grocery store, so for grocery, there'll be one, uh, category manager who handles, you know, almost all of uh, OTC medicine. Yeah. Um, and they'll be one, and then there'll be one other person who handles all of the beauty and cosmetics. Uh, but when you start to get into, you know, Walgreens, the example you specifically said, um, they've got so many stores and they're so focused that they have a separate person who's in charge of each section of the store. So essentially each aisle you walk down a different person is in charge of that. So there's somebody for cough cold, there's somebody for first aid, there's somebody for baby, there's somebody for external pain. 
Uh, there's somebody for internal pain. There's two different people. There's, you know, somebody for creams that you rub on your body and a different person uh, for Advil. So that's why I say maybe. So sometimes it'll be the same person and you can, in that meeting, say, hey, I know we're talking about product A, but, you know, uh, let's talk about product B, C, and D. Um, and sometimes that's not an opportunity. Um, but it certainly helps. And certainly if you buy... Um, so for instance, um, you know, we talked a little bit about our, our Balmex acquisition. Um, we acquired another product um, called Chigrex, which is first aid uh, ointment for insect bites and stings. And we have another product that's also a first aid treatment for insect bites and stings. So that's the same person. So yes, we get to sell, cross sell those two products uh, in the same meeting, so. Okay, so sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, great. Great. Yeah. And nothing is easy, is it? No. <laughs> you can go into Walgreens or CVS and deal with one person, but you can't. So I've got one more question and then anything else you want to get out, but I know you've taken over the business from your father. Mm -hmm. uh, and besides the acquisitions, what other things have you done to put uh, um, your imprint on Randolph Labs? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, certainly some of the, um, the low-hanging fruit, just being younger, just a little more technology, um, you know, just a little more computers linked between an office and a warehouse so you can hit print on a FedEx label in office and send it down to the warehouse instead of being forced to, to drive across town to do that. Um, so some of the basic stuff like that. Um, I'd say the real imprint um, that I've put on the business uh, besides the acquisitions, as you say, um, is that, as I said, it, you know, as you grow, it gives you more resources, um, more capital to spend with external vendors, uh, but also we've made some hires internally. Uh, so I'd say the biggest imprint that I've made on the business is the people that we've bought on. We've bought on, um, you know, a, a sales, sales and marketing um, vice president. We've bought on a, a manager of operations. Um, so bringing people in, you know, everybody knows that, of course, your employees are the lifeblood of your organization. And, you know, you've got to have a good product. Uh, you've got to have a market to sell that product. It's got to be priced right. So, you know, you make a profit at the end of the day. I mean, everybody knows that. But, you know, really, you've got to have as you grow and you grow out of, you know, uh, one, pe one person doing it yourself um, and you start to grow your employees, you've, you've got to hire the right people. Uh, and it's very important when you're small, you know, we have about 10 employees. So one person, if you hire the wrong person, that can really affect the whole team. So, uh, so making the right hires and building the team, uh, you know, being able to bring in folks in roles of need have really helped us grow. Uh, and I've really been happy with the folks that we've bought on. And um, I think the, you know, the flip is, you know, I've been happy with them is we offer a nice environment, being 10 people, being family owned, um, we don't have any of the corporate, uh, I don't know what the right word I, I want to say is here. I'll just say, I'll say, we don't have, we don't have the corporate nonsense, uh, that some people want to, want to get away from, uh, dealing with a big corporation. Uh, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of internal politics that need to be dealt with and being a small family company, it's, uh, you know, that's not the way that we operate. So it's, uh, it's just a nice environment to come in, do your job, go home, be with your family. Um, so I've been really happy with the people that we bought on. So I'd say that's the biggest impact impact that I've made on the business. Okay. Any final thoughts, Jim? Um, 
No, I think that covers most of it. I, you know, it's just always great to talk to you and, uh, you know, hopefully the listeners have, uh, have learned a thing or two. I don't know that I'm the best teacher. I feel like I'm still learning a lot myself as I go, but, uh, you know, uh, you talk to, we kind of keep track of goals sometimes and, and, and keep everything written down and you feel like, man, did I accomplish anything? And then you look at your goals for the year and you go, yeah, I, I hit all the big goals and you go, yeah, okay. I really did something. So, yeah. um, so I look at where things were, uh, close to 10 years ago when I came in and where they are now. And I'm really proud of the things that we've accomplished and the way that we've grown and, um, you know, looking forward to what we can do in the next 10 or 20 years. Um, but acquisition has certainly been a key part of our story, working with key partners like yourself. Um, you know, you got to have the right business brokers who know how to get deals done. You've got to find the right partners with banks um, who can get your funding. Um, you got to have the right partners with legal and accounting to make sure that all of your uh, structures are right as you, uh, as you make acquisitions. So, uh, so finding the right employees, finding the right partners, just keep coming in every day and putting one foot in front of the other and just keep, keep moving the ball down the field. So. Okay. Well, I have enjoyed this, uh, this session here as well as uh, becoming friends with you over the last uh, three, four, whatever years it's been. So I thank you. And for people who would like to find out more about the company, uh, what's the best way? Uh, you can go to randob.com, R-A-N-D-O-B.com. Um, Pretty soon that website's going to take you to a new website because we're in the midst of a corporate name change as we grow. We're going we're gonna to work on our, our corporate identity a little bit. Uh, that's really just going to link you out to the product brands um, because that's really what we are. Um, we're, we're, we're worried about our brands. Uh, but we do have some new corporate identity stuff coming. Um, and you'll be able to find on that, um, you know, if people want to reach me directly, um, they can look for me on LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm easy to find. I'm not hidden. I'm not private. So um yeah okay well thank you jim and again if you want to find out more it's randob r-a-n-d-o-b.com thanks jim thanks john it was a pleasure